Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Ibanez Guitars and Basses. Ibanez strives to make high-quality, cutting-edge musical instruments that any musician can afford and enjoy. Visit Ibanez.com for more info. And now your hosts, Joey Surges, Joel Wanasek, and Eyal Levy. Hey everybody, how are you doing today? Good, how Fantastic. Are you? Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Just kidding. With us today, we have Zach Servini and Matt Pauling. How are you guys doing? Great, how are you? Doing good, doing good. For those of you who might not know, Zach and Matt are the right-hand men for John Feldman. Is that right? That is correct. Correct. That is awesome. I have to say, how the hell do you go to sleep with those choruses stuck in your head all day? <laughs> it's rough, man. There's a lot of them. A lot of choruses. It's all about the chorus. <laughs> how long have you guys been working with him? Um, I've been with John for about two and a half years. And uh, Matt's, how long have you been there? Like a year and a half? Yeah, a year and a half. Okay, because I seem to remember, Zach, when you kind of got that gig, I think. I think that I remember you getting it. And since then, I just have noticed that you've just done awesome thing after awesome thing after awesome thing after awesome thing. So congrats. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's been a long road, but honestly, it's been pretty quick, I feel like, because like, I've only been in the industry for like two and a half years. So I was about to say, I don't like you're pretty young for having gotten a gig like that. And kept it. So that's pretty cool. Congrats. How did you go about landing that? Okay, so yeah, so pretty much, I mean, you know, I've been recording bands since I was like 14 years old. My parents, like, my mom's like a really honest person and she's just like the first person to tell me like anything I do sucks <laughs> and like growing up you know I was terrible at, I was terrible at sports you know I was terrible at pretty much everything but like I picked up a guitar and and could just kind of play it and she was like bought me a guitar and um and then like I was messing around with Audacity. You guys remember Audacity? Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was yeah. like that. Yeah, it was it was the greatest. <laughs> and um that was in like seventh grade. I was like I was really young and um I recorded a couple songs and like I just like loved doing it. So my mom bought me like a MacBook and um when I was a freshman in high school I recorded my first band, you know, I got like a little M audio interface with two inputs and I I like really ghetto rigged this thing together and um yeah, then I just kept like recording a bunch of bands through high school and when I was 17 I uh I produced like my first signed band I guess there were this band that was on artery and like it was like it was a really small thing for me but like it was really cool and I was just like hustling you know while other kids were like at parties and stuff I was just always like in my bedroom just like recording like in my basement or whatever and you know I just like worked super hard and um so when I was a when I graduated high school, I got accepted into um, a college called Drexel, which at the time had like a really good program for recording and producing and stuff. But I'm a hustler and, and I hit up just tons of people who were out of my reach all the time. Like I was just like messaging and messaging and messaging tons of people and no one would ever really hit me back. But one day I messaged Will Putney, um, who at the time was working for Machine, who was my favorite producer, like ever like I looked up to him like throughout all of high school and Will was like yeah you should come down to the studio and I yeah, I was 18 at the time I was a freshman in college and so I went down to the studio and and I just hit it off with Will and Machine instantly and and they were like you should intern here I was like cool so I interned there and Machine like really like took me under his wing and like almost like a parent he just like broke me into the industry and and just like showed me just like not even like on the technical side of things but just like 
how to deal with people and like how to work with bands like that kind of stuff which i feel is like equally if not more important than like the technical aspect yeah absolutely and so i I worked with them for like about a year and a half as like they're kind of like assistant guy you know and like i would track vocals i would track bass i would edit i would like do mixed notes i would i would do like tons of small stuff and and i actually produced a couple of uh bands on my own like machine would be going away and he'd be like yeah the studio is free so do whatever you want and so i would just be like okay cool so i would just go out and find a band that i loved and bring them in and make a record and um so yeah so we had a really great relationship and and then machine decided that he wanted to move to austin texas and i wanted to move to los angeles california so he sent an email to John Feldman just telling him that he's got, he had this. So at, at the time I was kind of like machines engineer, but he sent an email to John that was like, I got a kid who would like to intern for you. So I, I moved to LA and I just kind of like started over like as an intern. This was two and a half years ago. So were you getting paid as an intern or free no, intern? This so, yeah, was, so you just moved across country correct. and did it for free anyways. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Um, you got to take the financial hit a lot of times like to get into things like this. But the thing is, when I got to Feldman's, um, his engineer at the time was kind of like over the job. Like he just like wasn't really, they weren't really a good match and, and he wasn't feeling it. So he put a lot of the work onto me, which is great. So I wasn't getting paid, but I was doing a ton of the work and like a ton of the productions and stuff. And And it was like, I was coming from the metal world where I was used to just like, bass guitars and drums and stuff and i was just being thrown into this world of like all these crazy instruments and like crazy different sounds and crazy songs and all these different styles and stuff and it was really cool and really fun but also like really difficult (laughs) so i started interning in june of 2013 and uh his engineer left in october of 2013 and that was right before we started to do a record with the used and John needed an engineer, and I was just like, I'll do it. Yeah, you were there. So yeah, so I mean, I made that record, and I, I went on to make like tons of different records. And there was a time, a couple months later, we did an album with a band called Stick to Your Guns, where um, John had like a medical emergency, and he had to get this crazy surgery that put him out for like a month. So I produced the entire Stick to Your Guns record on my own, and um, and just you know did that one front to back pretty much just by myself, like editing, like no help, nothing. And that just kind of proved to John, like what I could do, I think, even though it was like, like a metal record. And and so ever since then, you know, our relationship has kind of grown to where I'm not really like his employee, but it's more like we work together. And now like, it's just grown over the years where I co-write tons of songs with John, you know, I, I mix everything we do and, and we like co-produce things together, which I think is really cool. Oh, that That's like the uh, perfect example of how to do it. I think. Cool. Yeah. It's pretty rare. How does Matt come into to all of this? Matt, you want to tell a little bit about your story? Yeah. So I come from uh, more of a uh, touring background. So I grew up in Orange County, California, and uh, I just started uh, playing guitar when I was 14. My dad was like, yo, you need to play football. <laughs> and I played one season and I was just like, yo, fuck this, dude. I got to <laughs> do something else. So I picked up a guitar uh, and just taught myself how to play and then uh, started a band, you know. And from the beginning, we were just playing hardcore, you know, like my favorite band was like Hatebreed and In Flames and like, you know, just like hardcore shit. We'd have shows in, in our like friends' parents' garages at like four in the afternoon before they got home. And, uh, you know, so I come from that whole kind of background of just like DIY, just, you know, hardcore punk rock mentality. And, uh, 
So, and then when I was 18, my little brother actually brought this demo I, I made to his friend's dad, and he owned this uh, label called Science Records. And uh, he called me instantly, and uh, my band, The Confession, got signed. And then we ended up uh, touring with, like, Avenged Sevenfold, Bullet For My Valentine, Megadeth, and, like, all these crazy bands. Just, just like that, out of nowhere? <laughs> yeah, it, it was, like, instant. It was it was pretty gnarly. Like, I, I can't explain. Like, I feel, I feel like I got super lucky. Both of you guys have an insane story. Yeah, so, and... Uh, and then from there, you know, we, we broke up in um, 2008, and then that's like when I... Didn't didn't Matt, Matt produce your record too, right? Yeah, Matt Shadows from Avenge produced uh, our album alongside with... Uh, he co-produced it with this dude, Fred Archambault, who just did the new Atreyu record. He was actually and, uh, on... He was just last <laughs> week. Oh, cool. Yeah, Fred's my boy. No and, way. Uh, yeah, Fred's Yeah, so he's cool. like the nicest sweetheart ever, and uh, so... But before that, after the confession broke up in 2008, that's when I was like, okay, dude, I got to get on, you know, Pro Tools and, and learn this whole thing. And uh, so that was like my whole journey into the into the world of uh, recording. And uh, the dude that recorded the confession's first EP, his name is Paul Miner. He played bass in a band called Death by Stereo. And uh, so when after I learned Pro Tools for a little bit, I hit him up and was like, yo, um, you have any like openings at your studio and he's like i don't really need anybody but i'll teach you how to use the studio and you can come in and like i'll show you some stuff and like um you can bring in bands whenever you want and we'll just we'll go from there and so i kind of learned from him a little bit but mostly i just taught myself because he just kind of you know set me up and then was like yo you're free to fly you know and uh so after i learned from a little bit from Paul, I was running this uh, little studio in Orange, uh, California. And so I, I got a few bands in there. And then after that, I got an opportunity to join a band with uh, Brandon Saller from Atreyu called Hell or High Water. And then we ended up touring for like three years. We did some cool gigs. Uh, we did uh, the Uproar tour and all that stuff and uh, in 2011. And then, you know, the band was just kind of like stalemate. It, it wasn't really doing much. It was almost kind of regressing a little bit. And Brandon was talking about getting back with the Treyu and stuff. So I, w I was like, yo, I got to jump ship. And uh, I ended up, you know, reaching out to a few people. And uh, I I talked to this dude, um, Sean Akavon. He's he's uh, the used tour manager. And he, he was like, yo, what are you doing? What are you up to? And I was like, I'm looking for a gig in a studio. And he's like, let me hit up Feldman for you. So he just hooked me up with uh, an intro email. And, uh, and Feldy was just like, yeah. Uh, cruise in so I I kind of started like how Zach did uh, just from ground zero I went in unpaid internship and uh, stuck it out for like a few months and then he was like yo and then one of the other engineers he ended up uh, leaving and so yeah it it's like John's always had like one engineer guy and then when I became his engineer we found another person because like the workload was just like insane so we had two people but that guy just didn't really work out so he left and and yeah, Matt just kind of, sorry to interrupt you, Matt, but Matt just kind of stepped in there. So how many people hit him up for internships generally? Is it nonstop flood? Yeah, well, he, he has kind of like a separate email that all of those go to that our interns 
and our assistants like go through. So it's, yeah, I think it's a lot. What's the vetting process like? Basically, you can't be a five seconds of summer fan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's that's like the first, the first credential. Um, Like, I mean, our interns, just to be, to be honest with you, it's, we're looking for interns to help with like menial tasks. A lot of times, you know, it's like a lot of food runs, a lot of coffee runs, like that kind of stuff. And then if they really are into like editing and stuff, you know, well, we could get, we get them started on that sometimes. It's like to become an intern, pretty much you just need to be like really cool and able to take, to be frank, just be able to, to need to take like a lot of shit. Pretty well, much. Every, <laughs> a lot of a lot of people don't last more than like a week. Every guy that we've <laughs> had on who has made it in the LA scene has said the exact same thing, which is their internship started with a bunch of menial tasks and they were the best at those tasks, like getting the food order right. And yes, that's exactly. what got them the opportunity to try their editing on stuff. And then when they did that right for long enough it eventually equaled work exactly like the thing with our interns is is if you you really have to do a lot to make an impression on john like you have to be really good um with that with yeah like getting the fewers right like but you just have to go like above and beyond in ways that you have to figure out how to do on your own because there's no instructions and um basically it'll be like you'll intern for you know however long unpaid and take a lot of you know, hard things. And then you could not hear from John for a year. And then a year from now, someone will call John and be like, I need someone to do this. And John will be like, John will ask Matt or me, like, who do we know that would be a good fit for this job? And we'll be like, oh, this, this person was an incredible intern. And so then we'll hit them up. And more often than not, you know, they're down for that. What gets someone instantly deleted? Um, <laughs> let's see. lying, stealing. Oh, I mean, um, I mean, from like the point where you get the email, like what, like, is there like a, something about the emails that make them like get to the top of the pile, I guess? Oh, oh, the, oh, those emails. Okay. Um, basically a lot of people send in like a lot of resumes and stuff and, uh, we have an awesome assistant named Allie and, and she's really good at like going through this kind of stuff. So basically every email that we get, that seems like it could be a good fit. Like it's, I think it's really cool when like people have like go to college or have like school experience or something, or if they have like a, like a SoundCloud and I listen to it and I'm like, Whoa, these tracks are like super cool. Cause we just get a lot of kids who like, I'll check out their SoundCloud and you know, the, nothing sounds very good or anything. And then like we meet them and, and they just don't seem like a very driven person. Our assistant, when we're looking for an intern, she basically like tries to meet every, like every person possible in the emails. And she just tries to figure out like, who's like the most driven person out of all of them. And who's just like, has a great attitude and like just always smiling genuinely and just always like, and just like is stoked to go get coffee, (laughs) you know? which people are. That's a great point because I'll give you an example. We're having the same problem right now in my building. I got a guy across the hall and, um, you know, we have separate businesses, but we work together on a lot of stuff and Uh he's trying to find a new building intern and he's had like four or five guys out of here and he's got these two guys that are pretty lazy in here right now. 
And they just like, they come in, they talk really big. They say, yeah, I can do this and I can do that. And either nod in your head when you're telling them how tough it's going to be and how they need to stick it out. And then when it comes time to brass tacks, like they don't show up on time. They don't care. You know, they don't take out the garbage without being prompted. And even after prompted, they argue like they're too high above doing something like that. And you're just exactly. like, seriously? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's, yeah, they, they have to be stoked to do everything. And we have kids that are, and it's great. When they just do things without being asked, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, just question for you. You said that you came from a metal background and had to learn all this other stuff. And I remember talking to you online about the amount of programming that you had to learn how to do. How how did you go about mastering that stuff? Did you just jump right in? And how did you go about getting better at it so that... I guess maybe he wouldn't notice that you didn't know it yet. Okay, well, John pretty much just, like, threw me into it, and I was like, yeah, I can do this. And, you know, like, I had, like, no idea what I was doing. And, you know, I sent him a couple tracks, and, and he quickly found out that I had no idea what I was doing. But um, <laughs> he just would help me. So, you know, we have a lot of, like, yeah, we have a lot of go-to sounds and stuff, like a lot of starting points in terms of, like, I don't know whether it be, like, a synth patch or, like, a mix setting or anything. We have a lot of starting points that we tweak from. And then we also go off and just, like, experiment and do tons of, like, crazy unique stuff all the time. So basically the dynamic that I have when I work with John, which is really cool, like, say I'm, like, so he'll have, like, a song idea whether it be like a melody or like a chord progression and, and he'll just like kind of hum it and then send Matt and me a voice memo and be like, make this sound like the police meets Taylor Swift in 2016. <laughs> and we're like, cool. And so like we build up a track and then we send him that track and then he just sends us like hundreds and hundreds of voice memos just being like, change this, like change this kick sound, like make this piano sound expand after the gunfight, like preset three and like, we just like communicate through like voice memos and like he just like tells us like how to refine stuff and everything. And honestly, I think just learning the programming just took like I've probably produced like five or six hundred songs since I've been with John that are all over like the genre spectrum, like everything. And um, it just comes from like doing it and like failing and like trying it again, pretty much. I, I think that it's important to be willing to fail at this stuff. It's the only way you'll get better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no matter how successful you are, you're going to fail. Like <laughs> Another thing that I've learned uh, from working with John, like the dynamic, is that you can't be precious about anything. You know, you can you can love what you're doing, but it has to constantly evolve and, and that painful growth, you know, like him being like, dude, this sucks, and you just spent like, you know, 18 hours on it and you stayed up all night. You know, and then he crushes you. And then I learned after a while that you have to just be like, okay, cool, I'm learning, I'm growing, and this is something that you have to deal with as a songwriter, an engineer, or any, anybody trying to do music. So I, th I think that's important. I think it's a numbers game, man. Like, the more you do, the more garbage you're going to put out, but also the more good stuff you'll put out. So it's just, yeah, it's that's just a matter true. of getting through the garbage to get yes. to the good stuff. Exactly. Yes, I agree. Yeah, we we do a lot of lot of things. <laughs> so let's talk about those starting points you mentioned. 
Um, where do those come from? Are they like you got something awesome on one record, and so it's like, yeah, that worked. We'll use yes. that, or is it stuff? Okay, so it's not stuff you just do in in a vacuum. No, it's it's like things that John's just like built up over years and years and years that he's just like, I love this, and I'm gonna do this on every record. Like you know, he's been producing records for uh, for like 15 years or so, and and like he's just has like so many little things along the way that he's just like, I love this EQ on a kick drum or like, I love this gate on a snare drum and like, we're always going to use this. And like, I don't see a reason to change this. It's things like that. Yeah. I had a question. I was wondering um, if you guys have a permanent setup or anything and like how much of your rig is analog versus digital, but you kind of answered it inadvertently by telling me that, that you guys, uh, you guys have like, are they like templates kind of, or it's just like mix settings. Like I'll just like go to like a mix that I, that's like kind of similar to the song that I'm mixing. Like, like I, I have different styles of mixing. Like, I mean, the two types of songs that I look at mixing are like, we're a very drum centric studio. And I look at like live drums versus program drums. And when I say program drums, I don't mean like programmed real drums. I mean like pop mm -hmm. program drums we always tend to center the mix around the drums like at john's and and like i have like a live drum starting point that i go from all the time and then when i'm programming drums i have like a program drum starting point mix setting that i go from as well and i tweak from there that's pretty much how i start joey isn't that similar to what you do uh yeah i kind of have like different starting points for different types of people for example like right. you know like frankie from a mirror kind of has like a a way that he likes to layer vocals so i would have you know vocal template that suits him but yeah. it would be completely wrong or different for someone else so right it just say it's more of like a time saving thing and not really like a you know it's not like about being lazy or anything like that it's just this is how this guy likes to work so i'm gonna condition my gear and set up my situation so that it is the most effective for that kind of uh, workflow. Yeah. I think it's a time-saving thing. And I also think it's a thing where I'm like, I feel like I could spend a week on messing with it and not get something as good as this anyway. It's yeah. tried and true. Yeah, exactly. I had a question um, because I've heard that John, you know, is a little bit of an eccentric guy and kind of, I think he's a lot like me and when it, when it comes to being creative, which is, you know, you attack something with you know a machine gun basically <laughs> mm -hmm. how do you guys if that's true and tell me if it is or not but if it is true how do you guys actually deal with that how do you keep up with him and do you find it hard keeping up with him oh yeah it's so hard to keep up with him john i mean and i personally just think john's like the greatest producer in the world he's he's incredible at what he does he's amazing and um his mind is just like all over the place so like it's like in any given day i'm working on like four or five different things like yesterday i uh i started out my day i came in 2 days ago i i did a a Christmas cover song with this girl, Juliet Sims, who's Andy Beersack from Black Veil Bride's girlfriend. So I did a cover with her and it's, we made it kind of like Tim Burton, Nine Inch Nails-esque. It's, it's really cool. So I did that and, um, I mixed that yesterday and then I did, um, six or seven hours of writing with Black Veil Brides who we're working with right now. And then, um, after that 
I produced and mixed a song for a band called Trophy Wives, who's like a, an up and coming like pop punk band from um, Rhode Island that we're going to start developing, I think. And I think keeping up with John like is just being on your game and just being willing to pull 16 hour days every day and like not sleep and just like pretty much it's just like that kind of thing just you have to be able to like work really hard and like work really smart and just like have the end goal in sight and just be like what's going to make John stoked because ultimately what's going to make John stoked is what's going to make the world stoked probably. So you just kind of, <laughs> and, and, and just, just from, from working for John for so long, I've just like, I know John and I, I know what he likes like a lot. So that makes it way easier. Like when I was starting out, it was like, it would take me like a week to do a song and you know, now we can crank out, you know, like 10 songs a week. So it's like, it's just from working for him for so long and just and just working so hard. I think that's how we keep up. Joel's kind of like that with his mixing, man. How many songs a month do you mix? Uh, I've gotten up to about 67, but usually... Jeez, 67. <laughs> usually, I mean, well, I've definitely had several months where I've cleared like 50, but usually I can do two to five songs a day. <laughs> I've even mixed a whole record in like three hours. And I mean, it turned out Jeez. pretty good. It's just having it dialed into that level of perfection. Well, that yeah, that record that you're talking about was one session. Every song was like queued up from left to right, you know, so there wasn't yeah. like any opening or closing of any sessions and stuff. And they weren't uh, very picky either, which was great. Yeah, and and you know, you have your system in place to where your assistant can jump in and you know, go this kick, that snare. Um, you know, this guitar tone. Yeah, literally, when I get a mix from my assistant, he's so badass that, like, I, all I have to do is pretty much write automation, maybe flip out a sample and do a little bit of spotty cueing. It's not even, like, I mean, I don't know, just everything is yeah, dialed into the point the where it's it's basically <laughs> framed. I know what, you know, we he designs all the guitar tone stuff for the reamping. We figure out what samples we're going to use. So by the time I hit play, all I have to do is sit there and mix. I don't have to sit there and be like, hmm, is this kick triggering right? Or wait, it's this natural drum gated or, you know, I don't have to figure any of that crap out. It's great. Yeah. And I think there should be people listening to this hopefully can start to realize that um, presets and starting points and, and things like of that nature are designed to just basically put up with higher amounts of workflow. Now there's, I think there's two different types of people. You've got your people who are like, you know, um, and I could be wrong about this, but like Steve Albini, is going to sit there and turn knobs and spend hours and days on you know the sound of certain things and then there's going to be other guys who want to just get to the point you know get the song down get the idea down and mess with the sound of it later and use a starting point and i i don't think that either of those methods is is wrong or right it's just different a different way of working and i think different types of music lend themselves to different methods you know so some bands who need like more of a unique approach would go with the more hands-on guy who would just start from scratch every time and forget everything he's ever learned and just, you know, mess up and find his way. And then there's other types of music, which I would say John Feldman is in tune with, is the sort of the more popular approach or the more structured approach where the workload is massive. But at the same time, your hooks are sort of understood your song structures are sort of understood and there's not a lot of like 
guesswork that needs to go on. Yeah. Just kind of playing off what you said, like in terms of like mixing and starting points, you know, I just think like for me, mixing to me is just making the song have an emotional impact and just like making me feel something and like it can sound terrible and still make me feel something like, cause maybe that's the way it's supposed to sound. But you know, like for instance, like, like I just want to like get the song sounding like good. And so then I could start actually mixing and actually like automating things and like making the chorus hit and everything. But, like I always have the fan in mind. Like if I'm mixing a five seconds of summer song, you know, the girl's just going to, all she's going to be listening to is like, the singers like she's just going to be listening to the vocal and she's she's not going to be emotionally impacted by like the frequency of the hi-hat or something you know what i mean i think that's an <laughs> amazing like, point allow me to interject because i think this is the biggest takeaway at least for working on a large volume of work in a short period of time is to not focus on things that don't matter like the hi-hat sound matters to us because we're audio nerds but when my mom listens to a song she hits play and she's like oh i love this song or this song is terrible she doesn't care about the snare drum if it's 0.5 db louder and you have a boost at 8k of 0.2 db with a q width of two you know it doesn't matter yeah exactly you got to focus on what matters and that's vocals the emotion of the song does it feel good does it sound like a song if yes you're 90 percent there mixing speaking of vocals just to illustrate the point of that emotional impact makes more of a difference than technical quality i remember zach you told me and some other people a story about recording something on a hill can, can you mm -hmm. explain that real quick for everyone who thinks that you can't get good sounds with not the best situation yeah um well for every record we do you know john's just kind of known for just like going and like taking trips you know like we go to so we just have like my laptop and we take an mbox and an sm7 and we'll just go like um for, yeah that that specific time was during a sleeping with sirens album um first of all so there's a song on that album called the strays which i think is just like the best song on that album and and john was sitting out by his pool when he wrote that song and he was like this song was just like waiting for my for me here and john was just sitting there with kellen the singer and he was like zach like bring a mic out by the the pools like right next to the studio and so john was like just bring a mic out to the pool and work and it feels really good right here so we're just going to record the vocals to this song right here so i brought a flea 47 out to the pool and recorded it on an mbox on my laptop and that's the vocal sound for that and um <laughs> and and then uh then we went and john was swimming in the pool at the time <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly he was yeah <laughs> and um then yeah on, on the 4th of july we went to the top of uh I think it was Muholland Drive and and we just like watched fireworks and recorded the vocals to a song called Left Alone and it was just it's just cuz it's like a cool experience and when you listen back to the song it just makes you smile kind of and and even though the listener wasn't there like I feel like some of that just kind of like rubs off on them just like it just gives it like a good feeling and and we do tons of that stuff like we go to the beach a lot um to record and like go surfing and stuff and yeah, we, we take a lot of trips and do that kind of stuff. And it's just fun. And, it, and you know, I, I just feel like I once heard an Italian pizza chef say that the secret to making a good pizza is, is to just be happy when you make it. And I feel like that's the same case with records. So nobody who bought the record 
noticed the mbox converters nope strange you'd be shocked at how much at how much stuff we record on an mbox yeah. <laughs> actually yeah, we I'm wouldn't be shocked i'm not shocked. i think a lot of other people <laughs> <laughs> yeah people would be shocked <laughs> I'm going to go leave a YouTube comment now like, oh, it sounds like it was done on an inbox. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys uh, use back at the studio for converters? Just the 192s. Yeah. Yeah, we just use the 192s. It's so weird. I know the gear that we use, but I'm like such like not a like a gearhead. Like when it comes to gear, I feel I feel like an idiot. Like when people start like talking about gear and <laughs> stuff. Too. Cause like half the time I'm just like, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. <laughs> like I just kind of like nod and smile. I know the equipment that we use really well, but like, I don't know the equipment that we don't use. So, well, let's talk about what you guys have going on there. Um, so yeah, so a bit, a huge part to our sound is, is we have a, uh, an X logic SSL 9,000 bus compressor and we set it to the fastest release and the slowest attack and we never change the settings and that's used on the two bus of every mix that we do and it's super aggressive compression like that because that's what john likes but he likes to hit that thing at like four to five db on the master bus and and i i'll try to like sneak and like back <laughs> off because of i think it's like a little too extreme sometimes but um that's a huge part of our sound is um is that across the stereo bus and another huge part of our sound is um the soft tube fet compressor i use i'd say i use that on like 90 percent of vocals just because I think that to me that's the the plugin that it just like that just does it for me. I don't know. I've tried like a million things and like that like that that plugin just like the way it compresses the vocal just like really like gets all the nuances out and everything. And um, the other ten percent of the time I use uh, if if that doesn't work or if it's like a not super in your face song or something like a ballad or something i'll use like a uad la2a or something um on the vocal but yeah the ssl compressor and that fet compressor are both like a huge part of our sound we use the fet compressor on the drum bus too like in parallel so like on our drum bus we just have that soft tube fet compressor and we just adjust like the parallel compression knob um to get parallel compression in so it's like super simple like our setup is extremely simple. How, how many rooms do you guys have? The studio, it's a lounge, and then it's a control room and a live room. So, so like when you when you and Matt are going at it, like is are you guys in the same room the whole time? Matt will typically be like, so we have a really cool dynamic. It'll be like, so there's like two different kinds, or I guess there's like three different kinds of days. There's like writing days, which are like the majority of our days. Like we write a ton of songs and we record them as we write them. Um, so like a lot of the, cause again, yeah, I, I just feel like a lot of like the excitement and stuff of like, Oh wow, this song is really cool. Like let's just record the vocals for real right now. Cool. Like, um, like a lot of like that quote pre pro writing stuff we do, like actually like ends up on the record just like, cause when we try to redo it, we can't really beat what we had originally. Yeah. So there'll be like a writing day where like, it'll either be like John's running the writing session and I'm like and I'm running the computer and John's writing and I'm like programming and like building up a track. And then Matt will be like in the lounge on his laptop, like programming either another song or working on the same song that we're doing. And then like whole, whole like keep coming in and like giving me files and stuff. And like, we're, we're just like building this like crazy track pretty much. Then there's days where we're like actually recording bands, which that will be like Matt and me just like in the control room, just like tag teaming it, just like coming up with guitar parts, getting cool tones, programming cool stuff. 
so we we work together on that and then there's like days where we finish songs or days where we like produce songs on our own or just like mix songs where there's not a band in the studio and for those days it'll be like I'll do some editing on the main rig and Matt will do some programming on his laptop and then he'll give me the programming that he has and then I'll start to mix the song and I'll and I and I'll look at what Matt did and I'll say okay this is cool like give me something like this or give me this and then I'll do my own programming on the song and then like I'll mix it so it's it's all like a really like collaborative effort but um but we're we're constantly basically just bouncing ideas back and forth and sometimes we're in the same room and sometimes we're not how often is John there John's there a lot it depends if there's a band there he's very vocal centric so he records like 95% of the vocals I would I would say I record vocals too but it just he he records a lot of the vocals like when he's writing um so that's mainly mainly when John's there is when he's doing vocals and um but Matt and me pretty much produce and mix and do everything else on our own so John pretty much writes the song will like write the songs with the bands and and do the vocals with them and then it's off to us so um when John is out doing things and touring or maybe playing shows or whatever i I think he's probably still does like some a and r stuff and and whatnot traveling oh yeah um what how does how do you guys handle that and and what kind of what's the protocol for that we're just always working and we're just constantly like texting back and forth with john and like sending voice memos back and forth to each other about things like yeah like whether john is there or not like we're gonna make the music happen pretty much and like even if he's even if he's not there it's like kind of almost like he is there because the studio is is a guest house at his actual house so like his house is on the same property so a lot of the time like he's there and to be honest yeah he doesn't tour that much anymore he plays maybe like 20 shows a year or so but he's like he's very involved with just like taking meetings and like finding new bands and like yeah like A&R stuff like that like he's he's very involved with that kind of stuff so if there's not a band in or if we're just doing like guitars or drums or like making tracks and doing anything that's not um vocal oriented like John will be like around just like taking meetings just like trying to get us really cool projects and then at the same time he'll be like I'll be sending him songs and he'll be jamming them in the car and like sending me notes and then like he'll come home and he'll pop in the studio and like we'll chat and hang out and he'll listen to what we're doing and give us suggestions and stuff so he's kind of just all like all over the place just like bouncing around um but I like it sounds like you guys have a pretty well-oiled machine going on though yeah we I would say that we do it's yeah, it's pretty cool. How close to the studio do you live? I live with Matt, actually, and we live, like, 20 minutes away. The studio is, like, just outside of Los Angeles. It's maybe, like, 30 minutes outside, and, yeah, we're, like, right in L.A., pretty much. Yeah, Zach and I are together 24-7, basically. Studio, yeah. then back to the apartment, then back to the studio, just over and over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you guys do to get away from it? Well, something that's really cool, so... So when I started working out for John, I worked like seven days a week, just like nonstop. And it was like gnarly. Like I once went like eight months without a day off. Like it was just like crazy. But, you know, I, I was cutting my teeth and I loved every second of it. And John would literally come to me and be like, dude, like you got to take a day off. Like, come on, you got you got to take a day off. And I'd just be like, no, nah, no, nah, man, I'm good. I'm good. But then um, on the last five seconds of summer album we did, five seconds of summer is A&R guy. He's like 
the pinnacle of AR people. You know, I, I think he's incredible at what he does. He's like amazing. And he's just super like straightforward. He's, he's British and he, and, and he is just brutal. He is like absolutely the most brutal person I've ever met. <laughs> he scares, jo- he Damn. scares John and that's very rare. <laughs> um, but he came to the studio to take two meetings over the course of making that record. And in each meeting, you know, we played him like a ton of songs and, and he walked away from both meetings being super pumped. Like one, like he usually doesn't make it through the first 10 seconds of a song. And, um, the second meeting, he made us play a song for him three times in a row, which he said is like unheard of. And, and John was just so pumped on that. And he was just like, he was like, I'll give you like whatever you want. Like, what do you want? Like, you want a new car? Like, what do you want? And I was like, can we have weekends off? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so it's, so it's, it's great now that, um, I mean, we'll still come in like, you know, a couple hours on, you know, if I'm like really feeling something, I'll come in on like a Saturday or Sunday to do it. Or like, if we really need to do something like John really needs us like to get it done. Like I have, I have no issues working a weekend, but for the most part, we have Saturday and Sunday to kind of like relax. And then during the week, we pretty much don't sleep and just go like super hard at the studio. So that's been amazing. Do you feel like the quality of your work has gone up since you've earned your weekend? I do. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. For 100%. Because the thing is, I always like look forward to Friday. It feels like kind of being in high school again. But like I always look forward to Friday because I'm like stoked to sleep in on Saturday and like go chill with my friends and stuff. And then I'm, I'm always stoked to like get back in on Monday because over the weekend I'm constantly just thinking about like what we're working on. And like, I come up with ideas that I don't like if I was just working seven days a week, I don't know if I would have thought of the ideas that I think of like that coming yeah. on a weekend. You so. can't have creativity without some rest. Yes, I agree. And, and I think the weekend is, is a luxury that not a lot of people get to have. So I'm really fortunate that I have it right now. But I just think you got to earn it basically. Yeah. There comes a point where you can demand it like you did. And I, I just think that it takes proving yourself long enough to where you can just say, look, I need a day off or two days off a week. End of story up front and cool. No problem. Yeah, it's been great. It's awesome. And and I think it's good for John too. I think John likes it too because he's he's never really done that ever before. You know, he's just used to working seven days a week. But now like the whole thing kind of just like stops over the weekend and and the thing is like labels take weekends off and you know, managers try to take weekends off a lot, like from my experience. So Oh yeah, or, they do. I don't know, maybe not managers, but <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's, but but it's like it's it's like no one's working on the weekend anyway. So that's why it's a great thing. Like if I want to go catch up or something like while no one's working, you know, I could go on a weekend, but otherwise it's like just knowing that we don't work on weekends and the bands love it too. I mean, Joel is super strict with his hours with bands. Like, Oh yeah. I got bankers hours over here. They come in at (laughs) eight in the morning and I go home at five o'clock. Now I usually end up coming in early and staying later and working on weekends and all kinds of crazy hours. Like, you know, sometimes you got to come in at 1130 at night and stay till 4am and then get up at six and repeat. But aside from that, I find most people are really receptive to it too. A lot of bands have made the comment, especially the, like the LA bands that are used to coming in and starting at noon. When they come out here, they're like, dude, this is cool. Cause like I can go home and watch the game, watch some TV, eat dinner, relax, right. then wake up, recharge and come back to the studio. And yeah, I mean, it's not for everybody, but you know, when you're producing a record, you call the shots and everybody else deals with it. Yeah. 
I think it's great. Yeah, and when you're there too, they know it's go time. You know, the band's like, okay, we have you know eight or ten hours, and we got to get shit done. So yeah, you can be super focused and go super hard. I mean, I'd rather go really hard for eight hours and not move and take like maybe one fifteen minute food break or something like that than I would sit there and screw off all day and work every other hour. And, I'm the opposite. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I like to do done. 30 minutes of work and an hour of break and just repeat <laughs> that. <laughs> I get like periods of like intense brain activity and then it stops and I feel like the light bulb turned off and I need to kind of yeah. like I've just noticed that this is how I work. Like, yeah, so I'm more like Joey in that the light bulb turns on and it's like fucking great. And then the light bulb burns out and you got to just kind of like stare at a wall or do something and then and then it re- yeah you guys got to yeah. come hang out with me man <laughs> i do i even piss with a sense of urgency <laughs> oh well there's a lot of urgency when the light bulb's going yeah, yeah absolutely it, it's like intense uh, what's uh one of the most ridiculous requests from a band if you've had any uh what do you think, Matt? I think most of the ridiculous requests come from Feldman himself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like when I first got there, he was like, it was like my first day, and he was like, "Yo, so uh, I really like the soy milk from Starbucks. So you're gonna have to go down there. They're not gonna sell it to you, but you're gonna have to make them sell it to you. So uh, get on that." And I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> "Yeah, every, every intern's done that one. It's like you got to go to Starbucks and literally fight the Starbucks employee to like." Give you soy milk. I feel like that's the <laughs> that's like the first test of like the senpai master. He goes. Uh, so how did you accomplish <laughs> that task? I remember he he asked he asked our intern Brian the other day. He was like, "Can you make my dog's breath smell better?" <laughs> 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 Just like stuff like that. I love yeah, that. I, I mean, yeah. In terms of bands, I don't. Yeah, I don't think like. I guess the most ridiculous request would be like a singer asking to sound like. Michael Jackson or something when they sound nothing like Michael Jackson, but, um, but, but I think for the most part, the bands are usually like pretty, I just feel like we've been super fortunate over the past like year and a half. We've just worked with like great bands and got along with all of them amazingly. And, and it's just been really smooth. Yeah. Fortunately we, we live in a day and an age where like that kind of pompous rock star asshole attitude has gone away somewhat you know where we don't have to like deal with that and everybody is kind and sweet and like we all have you know we realize that there's a common goal and like you know there's not the asshole asking for all red skittles in in the fucking (laughs) bowl you know they're not big enough to do that no one will put up with it anymore yeah and so that that's the kind of cool thing about all these bands is like you know that some of them are sizable, but yeah, not, it's That's not like exactly Van Halen's coming in, you know. Like, <laughs> I honestly feel like when I worked with like smaller local bands like years ago, there was more of rock star attitude than there is with like bands oh, like yeah. All Time Low or Five yes Seconds of Summer is. or something. It's like I don't know, I don't know why that is, but it's so weird to me. I that- think it's because we've identified this before. It's like you know the the local guy who's known for being like really good at drums or something if that ever goes away that's it's pretty much all he has so right they like guard it as if it's you know i'm, I'm the best and psh, no one can not, touch me. not just that also yeah. they've all they know about the reality of the music industry is zero i mean they've seen what they see on youtube or documentaries which are always bullshit 
and that's their impression of how stuff works. So they go to a studio and expect that it's going to be how they've seen it with their favorite bands and just have no idea that, first of all, it doesn't actually work like you see it in those documentaries. And second of all, you're not Pantera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so exactly. We have some questions from the audience, and then I, I have a question that I want to ask um, after that. So is that cool if we jump into those? Yeah, for Absolutely. sure. Okay, so let's see here. First question is from subscriber Nathan. I love the way the guitars sound on Weird Kids by We Are The In Crowd. What was his work on that? Okay, Weird Kids was... All right, so we have like a stack of boutique amps at the studio we have like a bad cat a soldano matt's evh 5153 which is awesome a high watt and a Hughes kettner a Hughes a Hughes and kettner um weird kids was the rhythms were i think they were all bad cat which is awesome that amp that amp is like super spongy um yeah the rhythms were bad cat and then um the leads were soldano that's like my go-to like lead guitar amp and um yeah, they go through like this old Marshall cab that John used to tour with that has vintage 30s in it. And um, it's just like super like beat up and old. And then, yeah, it's through like John's famous mic position, which is the old school Sure Beta 57 on one speaker. And then a Sure KSM 32, which is, I don't know why he uses that on guitar, but it sounds really good. And that's just tucked underneath the Beta 57. And um. So then that goes into Pro Tools and those two signals get blended together. And then the EQ that we do on guitars is, or for that record was the Waves SSL, just like pretty much cranking up the 8K, like to wherever it sounds good and doing anything else you need. And then the Renaissance X just to compress it. And that's it. John awesome. Unred is asking two part question. How do you typically pan your overheads and drum room mics relative to the guitars in the mix? And how tightly edited was Singularity? <laughs> okay, so, yeah, overheads and rooms, I pretty much just always do 100% either way. And then Singularity, that Northlane album, um, that was a while, yeah, that was when I was working for Will Putney, that was a while ago. Will doesn't, we grid the drums and stuff, but guitar-wise, like, Will doesn't edit guitars, he just, we just, like, track them and until they're good enough, so... I guess the drums were really tightly edited, but the guitars were not. And that must take a while. Yeah. I think the way Will tracks guitars, which I think is really cool, is he uses Logic, and Logic is amazing with looping things. So he just like loops a section over and over till he get till they get it right, which I think that's a really cool way to do things. Yeah, for sure. Especially especially for like extreme metal. Well, yeah, because they'll get it right like time number fourteen out of tw out of twenty eight. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> just play it yeah. for well, yeah but even <laughs> if i was playing it for them sometimes it'll be like that just like because you got to get into the flow of it and then once you're in the flow of it things exactly. start to get the tone of it and then i'm hearing a lot of excuses <laughs> i don't know that's worked for me yeah that makes sense they all yeah yeah i like that way that's cool uh rushi is asking did stick to your guns come in with the crown as it was or did you make it that way i really like the long melodic part going into that simple but really effective breakdown i was wondering if it was the producer's choice or if it was already written that way i think a lot of the music to that song was written which is which is strange i could talk about this later but john usually does vocals first before anything um but yeah stick to your guns 
that a lot of the music was written to that. And then, um, yeah, John just like worked on the vocals pretty much. So yeah, that was, that was a production thing. All right. So James Casper is asking, how do you handle ultra high pitch vocals? Like Kellen Quinn, do you use a lot of low harmonies and are backing <laughs> vocals to achieve a thick vocal sound? Um, for any like harsh vocalist or like just something, or I don't want to say harsh, but anything that's just like really high that might have some undesirable frequencies. I'll use the UAD. I think it's the ART 102 or 202 tape machine to smooth it out a little bit. And then I'll do like a little bit of surgical EQ, like on the high frequencies. And and then I'll use like, I'll do a lot of DSing. Like sometimes I'll have like three DSers going and sometimes I'll actually like just go down and like adjust the gain of like each S if like the S's are too gnarly and stuff. Um, so it's pretty much just finding ways to warm it up like that. Okay. And awesome. someone was asking which DAW you use, but you use Pro Tools. I know that. So I have one question. Okay. Have you heard the Secret Attack Attack album? Uh, I have. Yes. I want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> or actually, I... I think I've only heard it's it's funny that you mentioned that cuz we were we were looking for that last week for like some publishing thing but um I've heard I think I've heard like two songs. It's it's really cool. It's like really poppy but really heavy. But yeah, I I haven't heard the whole album but yeah, I've heard some of it. That happened right after me. Like they worked with me and then the next thing they did is they did that that whole album with Feldman. I was like Oh really? Yeah, so I was like, okay, well I want to hear you know what's the what's the big deal? It never huh. came out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that. I don't know. I guess it happened. Oh, did the band like explode or, or implode? No, I well, yeah, the band imploded. But also, um, I don't think that they were ready to take that step. Which got it. Yeah, if you if you've heard the songs, it's scary. Yeah, if you've heard the songs, then you know it's probably a little bit more in that commercial vein yeah yeah there's definitely like you know choruses and simple structures and stuff <laughs> if, it, if it's a feldman production it's yeah it's i don't know bands i think that's the most important thing of when bands come in to me the number one most important thing is to be open-minded because a lot of bands come in and they're like really scared because john likes to in general he just likes to push things really hard in his life and um with bands, he just loves to push a band like as far out of their box as they can go until they start really screaming that we need to take it back a little bit. And uh, that's like one of his secrets to making great records, I think. And um, a lot of bands are really scared to go outside the box and experiment and do I think you songs gotta do that, that are like, completely different. Oh, no. Nah, yeah, I think it's it's crucial. And I think just being open-minded to anything and and just giving everything a shot and just like seeing what happens is like is is crucial and i think that's what makes some bands last for a long time yeah. and some bands just kind of die i had a vocalist for uh miss may i come in and kind of tell me like all right um this is pretty much my vocal range this is as high as i can sing and this is as low as i can sing etc and uh you know i'll be writing a melody and it just needs that one note that he can't hit <laughs> yeah yeah you know, just i need it needs to go up there man and he's like i don't know man i i don't know if i can do it i'm like you're well you're gonna do it <laughs> because 
Cause you, you know, yeah. you gotta, you gotta branch out and, uh, you know, six months later he's on the road and he's sending me little cell phone videos of, of him hitting those notes live and going, thanks so much, dude, for pushing me because I do this every night now and it's awesome. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just saw him this past week and they're great. Yeah, yeah. I gotta say that, um, just to wrap this back to what we were talking about earlier that, by having, you know, we're talking about starting points and templates and all that stuff, having that stuff taken care of to where you can just get to work is what will allow you to experiment and push bands exactly. when you're on the clock and under the gun. And, yeah. you know, you have to get shit done and a lot of it done. That having all the dumb stuff just taken care of is what will give you the time to even be start yeah. to be creative. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think another way that comes into play is like, so when, say, like a band comes in for a day and, and they write a song, it's like, John will like go outside and do his yard and walk around for like a half an hour with his acoustic guitar. And then he'll come back in with like a chorus that is usually, and, and if the band loves it, then we'll go with that and, and work from there. And if they don't like it, then he'll go come up with something else. But once he has that chorus, he basically goes to me, like make it sound like a hit in like five minutes so that the band gets stoked. Cause like some people don't realize how good a song is until they hear it, like, you know, fully realized. And, um, just being able, like when you have like such a short time with a band and just being able to like get your ideas out quickly is, is crucial. So that's, yeah. How starting points come into play. Well, thanks dudes for coming on. You guys are great guests and great people and everyone should aspire to be like you thanks man oh thank you pleasure but actually no congrats on everything that you guys have accomplished and yeah kick ass thanks for being here yeah thanks for having us man absolutely yes the unstoppable recording machine podcast is brought to you by ibanez guitars and basses ibanez strives to make high quality cutting edge musical instruments that any musician can afford and enjoy visit ibanez.com for more info to ask us questions make suggestions and interact visit urm.academy slash podcast and